Welcome to the Gratitude Cafe, positive radio to feed your soul. Your dynamic host and founder, Sue Lundquist, will bring you her own intuitive talents and gifts for co-creating, healing, and teaching. Her show, The Gratitude Cafe, Positive Radio to Feed Your Soul, is focused on bringing you to a higher place each week where you can leave the hustle of life at the door. So pull up a chair and join us for The Gratitude Cafe, Positive Radio to Feed Your Soul. Good morning, the world. Good morning. We got Switzerland. We got Mexico. We got Ben, North Bend. I know you're in there, Washington, Seattle. That would be considered part of America. Good. Great. Good. We've, we've got oh, it covered. <laughs> just, oh. just double checking. Just double checking. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's too I easy. know. <laughs> Goofiness in the house. Welcome, you guys, Radio World, all of you. And for those of you tuning in uh, afterwards, in the iTunes world and SoundCloud, all that good juicy stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I've provide this as a service to be of service to you. And I am completely thrilled and honored to bring guests like my have my guest today, Rich. And it's all about, you know, overcoming yourself, you know, thinking about new perspective, new thoughts, new ideas. And, you know, it's kind of that squeaky wheel. We're going to be talking about really important things and about overcoming yourself above and beyond that, take what resonates with you and then leave the rest. And of course, leave a five-star review because yes, why not? Uh, Benny, good morning, love. How are you? Hi, doing very well, Sue and yourself. Tuesday, it's bright and shiny and sunny out. I love it. It is sunny and bend. It's beautiful. Mm. We finally, the Three Sister Mountains got snow on it. So the we three know that the sisters snow- Mount, is that the name of it? Or is there three of the mountains considered That's sisters? That's the name. Okay. And there's three sisters. Got yeah, it. The Three Sisters Mountains. And yeah, so Bachelor, I bought my ski pass. Nice. I'll be skiing. Yeah. So is this any reference to your daughters? Because you got three daughters, three sisters. Oh, did you even yes. put that together? I did. Totally. Okay. Just make it sure. Yeah, because the mountains. I just think it's yeah. I know, I know. It's so good. I know. <laughs> yes, and two are at Wazoo. Yeah, go Cougs. Arizona. Yay. Madison, she it looks like she's on par to graduate this spring. Well, that's good. Well, I know. It's really good. All right, guys. So Radio World, new perspective, new thoughts, new ideas, new you. Really quick before we jump in and talk to Rich Curtis, um, I want to remind all of you, of course, I've got my personal coaching program, uh, shedding old beliefs, old fears, those limiting, those limiting beliefs that, you know, you've heard me call it the drunk monkey. And I say it with a giggle, a loving, compassionate giggle, but there is that drunk monkey that's in our head, that bad roommate that's in our head, constantly giving us some grief, and hopefully some love, a lot of love, some compassionate curiosity. So with that, please go to sulanquist.com forward slash the letter C, the number two, the letter C. You can see the online course. You can do the course with me and the tribe live if you would like to do that. We are going to be starting to do now that the world is opening up, we're going to be doing in-person workshops as well. So if you would like to be on the list for that, please join my newsletter. And that's at sulanquist.com forward slash newsletter all right ah let's regain our personal power how about that all right i'm going to do 
the professional bio rich. Welcome to the Gratitude Cafe, love. Rich Curtis is and always has been a guide. And I really, really love this. For a decade as a raft and backpacking guide, and now as a real estate entrepreneur, best-selling author and success coach, Rich guides, coaches, writes, and speaks to help entrepreneurs, CEOs, adventurers, I think that's all encompassing. We're all adventurers, right? <laughs> and go-getters rewrite their stories, get unstuck and live their dreams. How does that sound, audience? Do you want to get unstuck and you want to live your dreams? Especially coming out of everything that's been going on in our world, right? Let's transform that. As a story expert, passionate student of neuroscience, positive psychology, and behavioral psychology, Rich believes in a world where people are invested in the process of being better tomorrow than they are today. His life work includes his latest book, his book, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, have been helping people get there. Outside of his work, Rich is a dedicated father of two, husband, traveler, and an adventurer, outdoor adventure enthusiast. Welcome, Rich. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Sue. I'm excited to be here. I know. I love it. So I have to just really quick shout out. And I, you know, the personal development world has been pretty dominant from the female side. And I, and that's not stereotyping. It's just, that's what, it, but over, I mean, I've been doing this show and personal development and all of this for gosh, 20, 30 years, but the radio show for over 10. And I love seeing the men come to the stage and opening their heart and being vulnerable and educating women and men too. I just, I love it. So thank you for stepping in the rink, Rich. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I think, too, you know, when you look at the people who are consuming the book and reading the book, it, it's across the board gender wise, but uh, I do often talk to men specifically because we do um, a much poorer job of um, taking care of ourselves when it comes to grief and depression and anxiety and recovery because we don't build the same strong social support networks that women do. And we, we'll go fishing together, we'll go rafting together, we'll go kayaking together, uh, but, we, but we don't have those same support structures for when we're suffering and often we haven't been given the blueprint for how to support each other or for what to do, uh, or, or even for sometimes inserting yourself in a situation that's not yours when you know a friend's suffering, it, it, it takes a certain amount of stepping forward and, and being a little pushy and saying, look, man, I, I can see you're hurting. Let's, let's talk about this. What do you need? And uh, guys just don't do it as well as women sort of, I know that sounds stereotypically, but, there, but there's actually a lot of data to support that, especially now in America, men in their mid fifties struggling a lot with suicide, you know, and, and depression and opioid addiction and all this stuff. So yeah, I do, I do try to get out there and it, it's hard. You know, I'll talk about having been really depressed for two years today on the show and it's still hard being like the youngest boy of five Irish Catholic, like tough guys. Uh, it's still hard to say it out loud, even after all this work, even after writing the book, even after the book tour, still hard to say out loud, I was depressed, you know, like it's still, it's a little, it's a little cringy even to say it uh, as a man. And maybe that's just my own baggage, but I like to get out there and say it. So, cause there, there are a lot of men suffering right now who, uh, maybe that's all they need. They just need to be able to at least say that, at least take that first step and admit that that's how they're feeling. Or hear it. You know, you give them permission, right? By showing up, there's an essence of permission. And it's, it's funny, this, this year um, doing radio, I've been saying a big fat permission slip a lot on the radio because <laughs> 
we we get caught up in that drunk monkey like i was alluding to earlier and the denial and the enabling and just you know burying our head and going like you were saying because you know and i and i know that i am famous for that and i'm working on that pattern as well letting go of my baggage dropping the bags and asking for help and being the receiver of help so let's let's jump in and talk about changing your story where would you like to I, well, you know what? I know I did the formal introduction. What I would like to do is get your backstory. Let the let the audience get to know your energy and hear from you directly, if if you wouldn't mind. And then we'll jump into the book and education. How's that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I um, like it said in the bio, I, I was a guide, and for almost my whole life, like uh, very young at twelve, I learned to rock climb and backpack, and by fourteen in high school, I was well running what at the time was probably an illegal outfitter guide service out of my high school. Where I would. <laughs> teach people to rock climb and teach people to backpack. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know anything about permits or insurance. I was a 14 year old kid. But what I what I did know was that doing these things changed my life. And I wanted others to come out in the woods with me and have that same feeling for the day. And so I started very young doing that. And then that just morphed into doing it into college. And then I spent a decade mostly living in the back of a 1987 forerunner traveling around running rivers and taking people backpacking and you're making eight to $12,000 a year. And, uh, <laughs> And it was amazing. It was, it was one of the best periods of my life. Um, and that, that gave me a lot of skills moving forward, I think, uh, uh, you know, to bring to the personal development world. But it also gave me in some cases, um, as you'll hear, you know, with the story uh, that I'm going to tell, it gave me some bad stories, some sort of uh, hero complex stories that didn't serve me when life, you know, threw some curveballs at, at me too. So the, the guide backstory is important in, in understanding that uh, in my process out of grief, something that was integral to that for me was, making sure to bring other people with me and teach them and help them learn the things I learned to, to recover and, and be able to take hits in life, but bounce back. Like life shouldn't be a series of hits that just knock you off course. And then you land where you land. Life is a series of hits that you then recover from redirect, choose where you want to go and then get to a new destination. It might not be where you were headed the first time, but it still has to be a destination of your choosing. It still has to be a place you want to go, a place you're fired up and excited to get up and go. And so often, whether it's in my case, the death of my mom or divorce or job loss or global pandemic, people take these, or you can have all three of those. A lot of people have had all three of those wrapped into the global pandemic, right? They've had job loss, divorce, right? And that just knocks you off course. And then life is different and forever changed. And, and you're not going where you want to go anymore. And you can't see, and you can't see a new destination. You can't see a new ending because you have right there, Rich, I want to put a pin in that. That's super important because people don't realize they can't see their destination or they see, and they're spinning out in what they think is a healthy pattern or, and, or they're spinning out and they know it's an unhealthy and they don't have the tools or the permission slip to get, or, to, you know, they don't even know what fires them up anymore because they're in that spin out. Right. And that's where you come in. We come in. Right? Yeah. And we're also trained to have the pedal to the metal all the time with the speed of our life now. Like uh, oh. when, I, when I taught guide school for 16 years, I'd given these three mantras when they were learning to guide. And the most important one was point where you want to go and get there because mm. people get in the boat and what they hear guiding as is someone yelling all forward. So they sit down, the boat's pointing wherever it's pointing, they yell all forward and we go and we eat the bushes and we slam into rocks and people fall out. It's really entertaining for the instructor. And it's incredibly frustrating for the guide. And most of us are living our life that way. We're going, you know, full steam ahead. Then somebody gets cancer. We get knocked to the right, but we're still 
full steam ahead. We don't have any built-in cultural practices to stop and take a break and reassess and decide if we're going where we want to go anymore. So I really stress in my practice the importance of direction before momentum. Point where you want to go and then get there. Um, and, and so often when we take a hit in life, we've lost the point where you want to go uh, piece of it. And, and when you're dealing with grief and depression and everything else, it's very hard to see through that quagmire to pick a new direction without doing some healing and doing some work first. Yeah, audience, did you hear that? Because I think that's really important. You've got to have, you've got to take a look. You can't be in denial anymore. You've got to take a really loving, hard look. And I say hard as just an adjective to describe. The audience knows my language, the stuff that I use, it's like compassionate curiosity, Get you know, because everything is a lesson earned and learned within the conversation, within, you know, the situation that you're overcoming, you know, whatever the emotions are. It's really important, audience, that you heard what Rich just said about point where you want to go, then get there. I love that. I totally wrote it down in my notes. See? <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah. And so, so for me, so that's why they, that sort of guide background is important. And for me, I lost my way uh, when my mom died um, and, and I didn't set out to be a self-help author at all. I transitioned from real from uh, um, guiding into real estate when I had, you know, got married and had kids and uh, my wife didn't think we could really live on eight to $12,000 a year anymore. And the back of the forerunner wasn't big enough for the kids. So uh, <laughs> Had to, had to do something different, but it still had to be meeting new people. It still had to be control of my own schedule. It still had to be constant learning like guiding was. And so I uh, became a realtor and a real estate entrepreneur. Um, and that's what I was doing until I took this hit of my mom's death. And that's what sort of launched me into writing a personal development um, book. I had done coaching in the real estate space and done success coaching prior to this, but it, it didn't have the direction it had after having to spend the time recovering from this. So that's um, the heart of the story is really begins with, you know, my mom's um, sudden death in, in 2013. Okay. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about the emotions that you were overcoming. Cause I want, I want to give the audience that contrast. Cause when you're in spin out, you just know that something's hit the fan. And yeah. I want, I want to offer that contrast from your point of view, if you could do that. Yeah. So in uh, June of 2013, my wife was, you know, eight months pregnant we're about to welcome our first child into the world. My real estate business is killing it. Uh, we, we have a house on the western slope of the Sierras, the heart of adventure here. Everything's going great. And then uh, my mom goes into the hospital with what we thought was a hernia. Uh, and she comes out and they say it's, it's cancer. Um, and they say, we'll talk about treatment in a few months. Three days later, she's in the ER. We spend 14 hours with her um, and she passes away. Uh, and what was hard about that for me was that she had a do not resuscitate order. Uh, and in fact, so we, we took her to the yard about four in the morning and my dad had me bring that, um, do not resuscitate order down to the hospital. And from all my years being a first responder and, and working rescues, I know what that means. That's it's, it's never a good end to the day if you're handing that over. Right. Yep. And, yep. and so I asked my mom, she was still cognizant. I asked her to rescind it. Cause you can verbally rescind that right there in the hospital. If you're still cognizant. And she said, no, she wanted that to stand. And, you know, my heart sort of sank because I knew that, you know, at the time, I don't think I knew that, that this was the day she was going to die, but I knew that the interventions the hospital were going to do were limited. Um, so we went through that process with her about 14 hours. Uh, she passed away. It was actually really beautiful. By the time she passed, we had 18 people in the room with her, all of them with a hand on her in, in one way or another, all of her oh. nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, her five boys, all of their wives. 
Um, so, it, you know, it was a, a, as good as a sudden and unexpected death can be. Uh, that was 41 days before the birth of my first child. So he, she never got to meet him. Um, all of that was really hard. And I sunk into basically two years of, of a deep depression, uh, which, which was new for me. Having worked in the outdoor industry for so long, all of the makeup of that is sort of uniquely designed to create the right neurochemical environment for happiness in the brain. You're meeting new people, you're um, invigorated all the time, you're outside, you've got, you know, you're getting sunshine off the charts. Um, it's not hard to maintain mental health in that environment, right? But now you have someone who is an entrepreneur, we've lost an income because my wife's going to stay home with the baby, I've had to double my real estate business in 12 months. My mom just died. My wife had a really traumatic birth. She almost died in the birth of our first son. And after that, I was a wreck. Um, and what was interesting about that was I was I was an absolute mess, but nobody knew it, right? So I'm still killing it in the real estate business. I'm as good a dad as I know how to be. I think I was a really terrible husband. I think I got a lot of grace from my wife. I was angry and frustrated and difficult, I think, for that time. So my wife knew, but none of my friends, you know, we'd go out to barbecues. We'd go out to, to drinks. I even have a friend who runs a podcast who interviewed me. And when we did the interview, he said, I had no idea. I had no idea any of this was going on. Wow. And I think that's very typical for, for men, especially, but for people in general. So one of the realizations that, um, yeah, yeah, you were saying yourself too. Oh, totally. One of the realizations that came out of this for me is everyone's suffering. If you look around you and, and someone's chest is rising and falling, they're suffering. And it, and it doesn't have to be that way, but we have to at least acknowledge that that's happening for people and then give them the tools to start to work their way out of that. Uh, and for me, it was this epiphany that happened. I think some people have their epiphany like on the slopes of the Andes, under the stars, cuddling a llama, taking ayahuasca. It's this beautiful thing, right? This is what we hear, especially in the personal development world. But real people have real epiphanies in real places. So yeah. I was circling Costco, having an argument with my older brother over the phone. <laughs> and nice. I'm, and I I'm love the family. They're perfect for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we're 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 two Irish and Italian, uh, you know, kids, so we're all temper, and and we're yelling at each other over the phone. I, I was circling Costco enough that apparently someone alerted the security guard to this crazy man. So there's some guy in a golf cart chasing me. I don't even know, a and I'm screaming at my brother. Look, I'm failing you. He was upset with me because he had just moved home after 20 years, and I wasn't spending any time with him because I was a mess. You know, yeah. I was a new I was a new dad, and I was depressed and. Um, you know, my mom, our mom died like a couple months after he got home, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I screamed into the phone, I'm failing you. I'm failing. Anne. that's my wife. And we failed mom. She fought for all of us every day of her life. And we just stood there and watched her die. Oh. Now, when that flew out of my mouth, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I slammed the brakes on the truck. Little security guard guy almost rear ended me. He was knocking on my window for almost a full minute. He said, before I came to and noticed him and rolled down the window and even acknowledged him because I had no idea that story was inside of me. Nobody in my family had ever uttered any words like that, engaged with the concept that we might've failed my mom in any way. Even late night on the couch with a whiskey by myself, I'd never even thought that thought. That was wow. in, it was inside of me. It was driving all of my pain, all of my grief, all of my suffering, and I had no idea it was there. And that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I had to ask myself a couple really important questions that I encourage everybody to ask themselves which is, is this story true? And even if it's true, does it serve me? And in my case, after doing a lot of work, this wasn't, the rest of this didn't happen in the Costco parking lot. The rest of this happened <laughs> over, over doing a two-year deep dive into the science of story and happiness and neuroscience. But no, that story wasn't true. 
And even if it was, even if it was, it was absolutely killing me. It wasn't serving me. So it doesn't matter if it's true or not, because it's doing really, really horrible things in my life. Yep. So it forced me to relook at the day my mom died. So what really happened? Well, at four in the morning, my dad, after we got her on the gurney and got her out, my dad called me back and said, get her DNR off the computer. I knew what that meant and I didn't want to bring it, but right. I did it, right? Yeah. Uh, the doctor almost ripped it, pulling it out of my hands in, in the ER. Um, my mom was a devout Catholic. I am not, <laughs> but so we, we got the, the priest in to do the final sacrament for my mom. Um, we were uh, not telling anybody the name of our son until he was born. So I whispered in my mom's ear, the name of my son. So she knew, so she had like a, a little piece of him to take with her, you know, to the other side. And we had, his middle name was, is my dad's name. So she got to know that we named him partially after my dad before she left. Um, later in the day, my parents had this amazing relationship where, they um they were just like the sickeningly lovey kissy huggy parents you know, that, that gross you out you know and so uh towards towards the hour of her death my dad couldn't couldn't cuddle her couldn't get near because those stupid hospital bed rails and i couldn't figure him out so i got the nurse over to get the rail down so we could get in bed with her and and actually hold her oh. um she had a mask on her face she was a lifelong smoker and she had copd at this point she had some breathing problems to begin with and my dad said those things freak her out she doesn't like the mask so I went to the ICU nurse. I said, what's the mask doing? She said, it'll extend her life maybe 10 minutes. So I said, get the mask off her face, right? Like 10, 10 minutes, right? We're talking about quality of life for 10 minutes. Right. So we got the mask off of her. And then one of my brothers um, was out celebrating uh, marriage equality, right? So that one of the beautiful things is like the day before my mom died, she got to know that one of her children finally had the, the legal right to marry. And he was out celebrating marriage equality. Uh, and he fell asleep in his apartment with his phone off. And we couldn't get to him. Oh. So I, I sent a friend over from Alameda to break into my brother's secured apartment building, get him up and get him down to the hospital. And then we rallied the whole family. So like I said, by the time she died, there were 18 people there in the room with her, everybody that she loved. And so when I really looked at that day, the, the new story that I wrote using the story evolution process that I teach in the book, using the neuroscience and the meaning markers and everything I learned over this sort of what I call it a two year, you know, uh, personal PhD and happiness. Um, I rewrote that story too. I fought for my mom in every way I could while respecting her right to die her way. Because yes. that was the truth. Both stories are true. I did stand there and just watch her die because that's what she wanted, because that's what she told me to do. And the mm -hmm. hardest fight we'll ever fight in this life is realizing when it's time to stop fighting, is realizing that death is not, at some point, death is not something to be conquered. It's something to be accepted. And then you shepherd people through the process in the way that makes them the most comfortable. And that's the hardest thing I ever did. I don't know if you've been there the moment someone actually passes. Mm -hmm. um, okay, you have. Yeah. I, I don't know Multiple what you're- times, actually. Yeah, so uh, I get, I, this is so intimate to me, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So my reaction was, I wanted to run. I didn't oh. want to be there. I wanted to run. I wanted Fight to hide. Or flight. The nervous system is taken over. Yeah. I didn't want to experience this, but I stood there. I kept my hand on her leg. I kept my eyes on her eyes until the moment she took her last breath. So all of that, like I said, both those stories are true. We just stood there. We didn't fight for mom. We just stood there and watched her die. And I fought for my mom in every way I could while respecting her right to die her way. Both stories are based on true facts from the day. One of them was destroying my life. One of them set me free and set me on a path to learn the skills I need to conquer any story in my life. And that is the power of story. That's how powerful this is. When I tell people, you know, we're changing lives one story at a time, people think, well, one story, what's that going to do? You have so many stories. We have some, you have a story about everything, who you are as a, as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as a radio host, as, you know, working in the personal development world. We all have 
our own sort of imposter syndrome stories to get over. You have so many stories. How can one story change your life? Because once you set yourself free, once you do this once, once you see the power of this and you feel the lightness and freedom on the other side, then you'll do anything you can to find all the bad stories you've got and rewrite them. That's, that's the power of the one story. And I want the audience to hear that. Did you guys hear that? Finding that old story, that old pattern and rewriting it. It doesn't have to be true to you now. Absolutely. And I love that's I, I, my niche is specializing in self-regulating tools and mindset hacks in real life, real time. You alluded to that earlier, you know, you're in nature. It's real time, real life. I, I'm not going to go hug a llama, kiss a llama, sit on the mountain and go, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just not real. We got real bills and we got triggers <laughs> and all this stuff is happening. And I love that. And finding the meaning, you said the meaning um, marker and then the awareness I teach and educate. The number one thing is awareness, aware that you are actually telling that story. And then the awareness, uh, and we we can go into this, but the, the neurology, but also the chemical reaction that your body's getting based on that old story, then you get addicted to it. And it's just this whole spiral of things. And they're like, I'm not addicted to that. And I'm like, your nervous system is, and it's giving you a chemical release. So yeah, yeah. So there's this whole dynamic and conversation. I love this. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, yeah. You can think like what you're talking about, how you're addicted to that. Your your body and your brain is actually like cementing this into the process of how you react to things. So you, I tell people, and this is a dated reference because I'm getting old. And if, if there's a lot of people on here who are younger, this might not make sense, but your brain is like a record. Uh, and the, the, the traumas and the hard parts cut the deepest grooves. And so when you take a hit in life, boom, the needle always jumps to the deepest groove, right? When you smack the table, the needle bounces and it jumps to the deepest groove. And so once you've got a really bad story in there, like the one I had, we didn't, we just stood there and watched mom die. We didn't fight for her. Then you have a bad day with your kids. Boom. It bumps the table. The needle goes right to that bad story, which brings on all the follow-ons. I failed. I am a failure. You know, I'm not good at taking care of people. All of of it. And so every time you take a hit, the needle drops to that deepest groove. And so part of the healing process for anything and anxiety works the same way, right? That deepest groove is all those like knee jerk adrenaline burst fears that you struggle with. Right. So you have to create a process where you create a new story and, and you create new neural pathways to that new story. And then you do the work to make that automatic. Cause right now your old story is automatic. I can trigger your old story in an instant, your new story, people do the work, they rewrite the story and they think they're healed. No, no, no. You got to spend the next several months really making that story. The only version of the story that gets triggered when you, you know, hear that thing. Um, and Bringing that's up the elevated emotion, changing the narrative. My language is changing the narrative, changing the story. It's the same thing, right? Exactly. And right. Changing that neural pathway. I've actually seen, that's the juicy, sexy part I love because I've actually seen it on video where you've got a habit and you have these neural pathways and they're firing that, that old habit, that old pattern, that old story. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you start changing that and it goes, it, that neural pathway breaks and it goes to the new story, the new pattern, the new neural pathway. It's scientifically proven you guys. And when yeah. I, when I, cause I'm a tactile person and all of my, and I think this is an important conversation because similar to what you're talking about, it wasn't like I had some kind of gaping sore I could watch heal on the outside, right? 
Yeah. Even though there's, you know, we, that's a horrible analogy of thinking of a gaping sore, but you know <laughs> where I'm going here for me to see the neural pathways and the change was so important to me because when I went into doubt or fear, or anxiety, I knew that my neural pathway, I knew that the, that my nervous system, my was, my was addicted to the chemical releases, but I also knew in my brain, the, pra- the practical part of me somewhere in there, I was changing that neural pathway. So I had to keep going and going and going. Right. Yeah. And that's, so that's powerful. the, that's the thing in the book. I'm clear about things, these things being simple. It's not rocket science, but it's hard to work. And I think sometimes in the personal development industry, we're a little complicit because, hey, you're going to have to do this for 30, 60, 90, 120 days. This is hard work. That doesn't sell books, right? Three right. easy steps to change your life in 30 minutes. Now that sells, I can sell 100,000 <laughs> right, copies. Oh. Right? And so you you got to be real with people and tell them that, that this is work, right? This you, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to commit. You're gonna have to do the work. But if you do it, then then everything's on offer. Everything you want, all all the emotions, the life you want is right there inside your brain already. You just have to remember. You just have to write the right stories. You just have to reconnect with it. But it but it takes work. You can't. This is not an autopilot. This is not instantaneous change. Your life changes in an instant the minute you're willing to change the story because now you know you have control. Now you've taken that locus of control back. You are in the driver's seat again. But that story will just beat you right back down if you don't actually do the work. So that's why in the story evolution process that I teach, one of the steps is telling it over and over again and really doing the work and making it part of your lived oral tradition, or else it'll just go right back to whatever your story was before. Uh, um, with that, Rich, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We got Benny in the studio ready to shoot us over to commercial world. We're going to be live on YouTube. So those of you who would like to join us there, go to YouTube and just type in 1150 AM. We'll be right back after our commercial break. Sue Lundquist here with the Gratitude Cafe. All right, folks, seriously, I've got the doorway. I'm working with amazing, high-functioning clients that are doing the work and busting through old habits to now transform their lives. This means breaking their old programming, their old stories, to feeling a purpose and such a relief that now that they have the answers. Does that sound good to you? Yes, I knew it. Give me a call, 206-300-2227. We are the physicians, the nurses, the hospital and health system leaders. All we ask of you is to take three simple steps proven to stop the spread of COVID. Wear a cloth face mask, maintain social distance, and wash your hands. Scientific evidence must shape our decisions, dictate our actions, and protect our health. We are not powerless. Together, we will defeat COVID. This has been a message from the American Hospital Association, the American Medical Association, and the American Nurses Association. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Dispenza. I wanted to take a moment and let you know about a nonprofit organization called Give to Give. The Give to Give Foundation was created by a group of people who have studied my work or have participated in my workshops around the world. And by applying the principles of mind over matter and the mind-body connection, they've created outstanding changes in their lives or in their health, and they wanted to give back. The organization is dedicated to providing the proper resources to those people in need to gain the opportunity to learn exactly how to change their body or their lives. 
If you want to learn more about the Give to Give Foundation, or you know someone that needs help, or you simply want to make a donation, visit givetogive.com. Those who give don't always know how to love. Those who love always know how to give. Thank you. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. so much. All right. We have got Rich Curtis live on the radio and of course in the YouTube world. For those of you joining us, if you're driving, please be safe. We love you. We want you at your destination. (laughs) All pretty and polished. All right. Let me ask audience. uh, Do you want to be in the driver's seat of your life? We just had a really great conversation on YouTube. So if you want to go check that out, please go do that after it's posted. Um, Rich Curtis, I'm talking to Rich Curtis. He is the, for whatever, I want to say the human guide. He is your (laughs) human guide, male or female, from, you know, trauma to triumph. You know, I'm using some fun words here, but do you want to be a participant in your life? Do you want to be in the driver's seat? You, you yourself and Rich and I um, absolutely agree to this. You have to be an active participant. We do, we are doing serious work. However, you have to show up. You have to be the willing participant to do the work and make the steps forward, metaphorically and all of energetically, physically, all of that stuff. I've got a promo link I want to share with all of you guys. It's www.suelunquist.com and it's forward slash change your story. So you can go to suelunquist.com, change your story. Um, we have been talking to Rich about his book. There's quite a few things and and like we talked about on YouTube, you see inspirational quotes and you see intentions. I want you guys to look at those lists or if you've got notes and things that are like a squeaky wheel for you that you've heard Rich and I talk about, really dive into that. Look at that. If there's a squeaky wheel, if there's a thorn sticking in the, you know, what, and it's like something's triggered you, that's where we want you to go. That's exactly where we want you to go because something in there is saying, oh, I got to work on that. How do I do that? The how is right here. Uh, richcurtis.com. You can go to his website as well and or get his book, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Okay, Rich, where should we go? Uh, well, let's. I want to make sure by the end, we give your folks something they can actually do today. So I'll go over do the it. story evolution process in, in just okay. a minute. I'll make sure we get that in. But okay. real quick, just to pull on the neuroscience thread we were talking about before mm. we before we broke, um, there's this brilliant researcher, Mary Helen Emerdino Yang down at USC. She's an educational researcher. And what she's found is that if you tell someone an inspiring story or, or even just an impactful story, like maybe even the story of my mom or, and her death, and then you put them on an fMRI machine, you're going to see a couple parts of their brain light up, right? The, the, immediate, the midbrain lights up, which isn't quite as exciting. And then um, there, the insula lights up, which is actually two parts of your brain, one on the left and right. And that's the part of your brain responsible for gut function. 
So when you get that like gut feeling from a story, it's because that story actually reached into that part of your brain and lit it up and, and is affecting your gut function with a story. That part's really kind of cool. But the most interesting part is that it lights up your medulla, which is sort of the oldest part of your brain. It's the part of your brain that's responsible for such mundane tasks as keeping you breathing when you're sleeping, regulating your blood pressure, keeping you alive. It's, the, it's basically a little spot back here, and it's the biological survival center of your brain. And so you would think that evolutionarily, we would have put an impenetrable firewall around that, right? No, we're not letting anything in. If you, in action sports, if you take a big enough hit there, they can't keep you alive on life support even for more than 15 minutes. That, that's how important this part of your brain is. And just by telling you an inspiring story, I can light that sucker up. And, and what that means is two things. It's getting blood flow and it's getting electricity, right? Which uh, Imerdino Yang says, you just got changed at the neural level by this story in the biological survival center of your brain. Mm. So if you think that in, about an inspiring story can reach right in and change you at the neural level in the biological survival center of your brain, what do you think the bad stories you're carrying around are doing to you, right? How yeah. this is why it's so powerful. Stories are that programming code for your brain. If we were to sit down and try to rewrite my website right now, you wouldn't type in, make the background red, right? You type in something. <laughs> You type in something in HTML, which I don't know because I'm, I'm a techno idiot with that kind of stuff, but you yeah. use HTML. Stories are the HTML for your brain. If you want to change the filters you see the world through, if you want to change your outcomes, the way to access that filter database, the way to rewire that brain is to reach in, grab the bad stories out, rewrite them and stick them back in. That's what the story evolution process that I teach. That's what we'll go over next so that you guys uh, who are listening and watching on YouTube have something you can take away and do right now today. Yeah. I don't like holding it back. I don't like saying, uh, yeah, here's a great idea. Go buy my book. We're going to give you something you can start healing right now. You can pull the, pull the car over. Don't do it while you're driving, but you can pull the car over. You can start the work right now if, if you're suffering. Love it. Um, so that's, that's the four-step story evolution process. That'll help you do the work. First, you ask the question, what's my story about this? Then you ask yourself, is it true? And then you ask yourself, even if it's true, is it serving me? And once you get a no, it's not the only version of this story that's true and no, it's not serving me, then you're ready to do the work. And the work is simply write it down. And I recommend handwriting this, not typing it on a computer. There's, some, there's a connection there. There's, there's sort of a, a kinesthetic connection. 100%, yep. As, as you write it out. So you write it out longhand, and that's to get it outside of yourself. This thing's in you. You might even know what it is. You've got a story about everything in your life, and you've never told it to yourself. You've never written down. You've never read it. You've never said it out loud. That's like getting in the car in the morning. The GPS turns on. It starts giving you directions, and you just go. You don't stop to check the destination or see where you're going. That's how we're living with these stories. So you have to get it out of yourself first to work on it. And that's writing it down. Then you're going to say it out loud. And I actually recommend uh, using your cell phone and recording yourself, doing a video of yourself the first time you do this. People don't like it. It's uncomfortable. You know, uh, don't, don't I don't do like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do it at the gym. You know, do it in your office. <laughs> do, it, do it in your basement. But there's a reason for it. This story is making you suffer. And if you go back, it's like I record the, 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 the calls with my coaching clients and I send them to them in an MP4 at the end so they can listen to them because you can hear where you're suffering. And when you record yourself doing this, you can see it. So when you tell yeah. that story out loud, you'll see all over your face the spots where the story's bad, the spots where it hurts. You'll oh. twitch, you'll tick, your eyes will turn down, your shoulders will slump, you'll see it. And then you simply mark out on your page with a tick mark the parts of your story that you saw it that aren't serving you, that are hurting you, that are bad, right? Mm. Once you've done that, you rewrite it, but you don't try to rewrite it 
wholesale. You just take that first line. So, you know, like uh, in my story, m- mom, she fought for us every day of her life. Well, that, that was extraneous. It wasn't helping the story. It wasn't hurting the story. I can just throw that out. We didn't fight for her, right? I didn't take on, we didn't fight for her. We just stood there and watched her die. I just took on, we didn't fight for her. And I rewrote that. And then I read the new story with the part of the new story and the parts of the old story. And then I took on the, the next part, right? Which is, we just stood there and watched her die and then rewrote that and keep in it. So it's an iterative, iterative process. And you go through and you, every time you rewrite it, you say it out loud again until it feels good, until you feel light, until you feel healed, until you feel like you could actually stand up on the coffee table at a cocktail party and tell that story. Right. Like when you think about like the what I call the late night on, on the couch with a whiskey, what you say to yourself, I'm I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'll never be loved, I'll never be good at anything, I suck at everything in life. You would never step up on the coffee table and shout that to a room full of your friends, right? You'd never even utter that out loud where anybody else could hear you, but you will beat yourself into the ground and tell yourself that horrible, horrible story over and over and over again. So you need to take this from a story that you need to keep in the shameful dark and bring it out to one that you'd stand up and yell from the rooftops. When you say it and you feel like it's that story, then you're ready to go on to, to doing the work, right? So that was and step you're three. you're changing neural pathways, guys. Keep at it, keep at it, keep at yes. it. Yes, yeah. yeah. And step four is really to do that work, is to tell it yourself over and over again. So print it out, Put it on your nightstand, put it up on the mirror where you get ready in the morning, put it on your computer screen if it's an appropriate story that that some people can oversee. Uh, But make sure you're telling it to yourself at least twice before, uh, right when you wake up and at least twice before you go to bed so your subconscious can be working on that story while you sleep. If you can squeeze in more during the day, even better. Pop it in your calendar, people. Pop it in the calendar and let it pop up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do that. I do that all the time with with everything. One once I was in an argument with my son where I was being, uh, I was just I wasn't being a great dad. I was just kind of being a bit of a turd to him. And he said, "Dad, I don't feel like you're being my real dad right now, right? Because for him, for him, dad's loving and supportive, and and now you're not being that, right?" And I was like, that there's no more powerful story than that. So I have in my calendar, be Grayson's real dad. And it pops up at seven in the morning, every morning. And it's just a reminder to myself to live that story, to be that whatever he thinks that great guy, that real dad is, that's who I want to be today. And that's how you want to show up in the world. And that's a really good question. How do you want to show up in the conversation, in the energy, the frequency? Yes, I do the pop-ups and I do it with numbers, like one, 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 two, 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 three, 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 four, four, just... Yep. Fun stuff, right? Yeah. 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 To give yourself another quick connection. And to to put more energy. Yeah. Put more positive energy frequency into it as well. Yeah. And now that step takes like 30 days minimum, 60 to 90 days better. And the bonus hack to that is to make it part of your lived oral tradition. And and this is something that I think, especially for men, is is almost 100% a, a requirement. And that is to get with trusted friends or family and tell them the new story, tell them the old story. So I, once I figured this all out, once I did the work before I ever wrote the book, I'd, I'd go out to drinks with friends. I'd say, Hey man, I just realized I was depressed for two years because of this. Here was, here was the story I was carrying around about my mom. Here's my new story. Yes. That was awkward. Yes. Some friends, you know, handled that situation better than others, you know, pick wisely. Uh, but by yeah. saying it out loud, by sharing it with others in your community, by enlisting that community support, by making it part of your lived oral tradition, you sort of superpower and speed up the process of making that the new story. And you just have to get to the point where when you're triggered, when someone says my mom's death, or when I talk to them about my mom's death, the I fought for my mom in every way I could while respecting her right to die her way story is the only one that comes up unless I'm doing you know this kind of stuff where I tell the old one. 
And if that old one pops up again, then I go back to the drawing board. I'm telling myself that story twice in the morning, twice at night, and I just do the work again. Healing is not linear. Life is not linear. You will fall back off the wagon. These old stories, if you get hit hard enough, these old stories will rear their ugly head again. And But now you know what to do. You just go back and, and work the program, work and the steps, to do it. to do it. Yes. You, you are in the driver's seat. You have a big fat permission slip with Rich right here too. <laughs> you guys just yeah. got some powerful tools. I think also the conversation, there's a refractory period. Are you familiar with refractory period where, you know, you've, you've been triggered and there's that space in between where I can send that email. I can make that phone call right now while I'm triggered, or I can wait a little bit, but sometimes people are waiting. That refractory period is months, years, and they're still angry and they're still sad and they're still in that space. So you go back to just like what you were saying, what's the story? Is it true? Is it serving me? Write it down, take a video, which, oh, Rich, that's going to be tough for me. <laughs> it is, it is. Oh, ah, yes, take a video. And then number four, repeat, rehearse, keep saying it out loud to your trusted tribe. And I say trusted tribe because that's important. You know, get the people that are going to support that conversation versus the one going into the drama and bringing up the old neural pathways and the old chemical releases, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's just so easy to do. It's just there. It's on active recall. It's ready for you. So unless you're actively fighting the other way, unless you're actively pointing in a new direction and creating some momentum in that direction, you, you can't get over this stuff. Yeah. And the consequences of getting over it, like the video, the video is, it is, it is cringy to watch yourself do it, but you'll, <laughs> you'll never, you'll never be able to go back. You'll never be able yes. to, to keep living that story after you see what it's doing. I did this with my son around distance learning last year. My son's a social animal, loves people, loves school, loves learning. And he was fighting us tooth and nail on getting on Zoom and doing the distance learning. And he said, dad, I hate school. And I said, whoa, that's, that's a big statement. You love learning. That, that doesn't seem like it's true. Do you think that's true? And he said, I, I don't know. And I said, well, let's do this. And I got out my phone and I said, just tell me how you're feeling about, about school and about Zoom right now. And I have the video. I don't show it publicly because I... I'm one of those weird people that doesn't want to put my kids videos on the internet right, without, right now. Yeah. Without consent, but, um, you, know, he, you got to ask permission, but please continue. <laughs> so he said, uh, I hate school and on the video, and he was down. He looked sad. He was looking down. He was just, just a sad, depressed looking little kid in the video. And I played it back to him. I said, does it look like that story is making you happy? He said, no, dad, it, I look awful. That, that looks, that looks awful. And I said, okay, well, let's rewrite it. And we, we rewrote it, you know, into something along the lines of um, Zoom sucks, but I still get to see my friends, teachers and learn. And I tried to take and this is an important piece um, of this. You cannot rewrite these stories by battering them with senseless and untrue positivity. Yeah. And I think positive psychology has, has morphed from um, addressing humans as people who are fundamentally whole and unbroken and can heal themselves, which is the point of positive psychology, that by looking at our defects, we just create more energy on our defects. And by looking at where we're doing it right and enhancing that, we do better. Positive psychology has morphed in the pop cultural world, you know, in, in, in the Dr. Google world into just battering away your, your hard emotions with senseless positivity. And I even- and that doesn't in, work. It doesn't work. Absolutely. And so these stories have to be true. They have to be rooted in actual true facts that are true for you. 
Yes. And I made the that- audience, wait, I got to, I get, let's put a pin in that rich because this is really important. Can't tell you how many conversations I've had with this. Is it real? My anchor words that I use authentic and genuine. It goes, it's just, it's that thing inside you. And if you don't know what that looks like, research, get curious, have some compassion, get curious about that. It's so important because you're getting your your nervous system inside is going to be calling the BBS thing that <laughs> says, yeah, no, I'm calling that. That doesn't feel right to me or, or, you know, so please continue. I think it's really important that people hear that discernment of, about that. Sorry about that. Yeah, it has to be an equally true but positive story. And, and yeah. I tried to take I tried to take the Zoom sucks out of it, and and he reread it, and I said, "Does that feel true to you?" He said, "No, Dad, Zoom sucks." And I said, "All right, then that's got to stay," you know. And then we peppered the rest of the story with the positivity he needed. We videotaped himself telling his new story and played it back for him, and he was lit up and happy and excited. Oh. And- And there's some hacks I teach for kids. It's harder to do with adults. Like, you know, you can use power poses with kids and they get into it and and fun, you know, like the Harvard research about standing like Superman and stuff like that. (laughs) It's hard to get a 45 year old construction worker to do power poses, even though it really helps, but you know, (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) But your, your eight year old, your eight year old eats it up. He'll stand like Superman and belt out his new story. And then you're adding energy and you're using some other neuroscience tricks. So um, but it does, it has to be true. It has to be true for you. You, you, you have to embrace the suck. You can't take the suck out of the story. It has to still be true. And if there's a pain point in the story that has to be there, that's okay. You don't have to run and hide from it. The story's not a failure if it still includes some pain, as long as the story sets you free and sets you on the direction you want to go. That is so important. And it's okay to feel that pain. It is absolutely okay. Just feel it and get it out. It's like tearing that bandaid off the analogy, just do it as fast as you possibly can. But in, in the neuroscience and the conversation of, you know, internal health and and mindset, you really have to feel authentic and genuine within those feelings. I mean, it's got to feel true again, back to your questions. What, what's the story? Is it true? I love it. Yes. And is it serving me? No, it's not. And that, that's why questions, in my opinion, work better for a lot of people than affirmations. If affirmations oh, totally. are cringy for you, if affirmations feel uncomfortable and don't feel authentic and people are telling you to do them anyway, then, then use questions. And, and instead of, you know, I'm good enough, how am I good enough? How am I going to be good enough today? How was I good enough yesterday? How was I great yesterday? Use questions and curiosity to draw out that personal power instead of affirmations. And now, if affirmations work for you and you, you, you can stand from the rooftops and yell them and they work, get it, go, get go, it. go yeah. do you. But for a lot of my clients, affirmations just don't, just feel inauthentic. It doesn't work yeah. for them. And you can use questions as a hack to draw out the same kind of positivity that you can get from affirmations. I have a question for you really quick. We've got a couple more minutes because I know when I started this journey, I didn't, I could not find in a space or a place in me what love authentically and genuinely felt like, what true authentic and genuine joy felt like for me. And I say this because there's people out there right in the same thing. I'm sure you've coached and talked to people. You've been there yourself. I literally, in in order for me to elevate and to feel genuine and authentic within myself, to find my truth, whatever that even was, I didn't know. I didn't know what love and joy felt like. I literally, my go-to was to go on YouTube and find puppies and babies <laughs> laughing. See, yeah. you know, that puppy breath and the, the belly laugh of those, the babies, that would bring my genuine and authentic elevated emotion of love and compassion 
And then I would start there and build the neural pathways and keep going and going and going. Do you have a little trick of the trade that you use or is? You know, for me, and I think that's, that's great because you have figured out something that will do it for you. And then, yeah. And then or you know, nature di- going out in nature too. Yeah. But yeah. And then dive into that and do that. So if you already know, if you already have it, if, if, if the minute you think about joy, you get an image of a beach or whatever it is, then dive into that and use that for a lot of people. I think the very focus of how do I feel when I'm happy um, is, is part of the problem. You know, just like what people who have anxiety suffer with the most is being anxious about being anxious. Right. And now I'm yeah. anxious because I'm not happy. Well, was I ever happy? How did I feel when I'm happy? How do I get happy? Now I'm not happy and I don't even know how to feel happy. What do I do? <laughs> right? And, and, spiral, yes. And no, nobody can be happy with all that garbage going on and circling in their head. So for me, it, it's focusing on the process. Like when I used to take people to, to climb mountains, we get up at four in the morning, we pack our bags and we set off. And I would tell them, bring everything with you that you need for the day because you will find that when we get to the top of this mountain, there's nothing there that you didn't bring with you in the backpack right? So people are always looking at happiness as this destination, looking at joy as this destination. After I lose the 30 pounds, after I get the promotion, after I get married, but when you get there, that there's nothing there. When you get the promotion, there's nothing on the other side of that. That's, that's, there's nothing there that you didn't bring with you. So if you can't feel it now, you're not going to feel it then. So the process is to just start doing, exploring, and being curious. So working the things that you know. So there are things that reliably release the neurochemicals in your brain that create happiness. Um, this will be a, a super quick one, but I have these four behaviors, the core four that I talk about, get eight hours of sleep, do 30 to 45 minutes of cardiovascular exercise, do at least 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation, and do a daily gratitude practice. And we, we could spend 20 minutes on each of those, which we don't have time for. Oh, in a hot second, yes. <laughs> but start doing the things that will reliably dump some happiness-inducing chemicals into your brain start doing the work and then you'll get there and then you'll be a little bit happier. And then maybe in that little bit happier state, you'll remember, I really like painting. I'm going to go do that because I feel free to do that because I've moved some of the garbage out. So getting a little momentum, doing the work and focusing on what can I do right now? That's a healthy, productive habit Mm. and not making that death grip on finding happy, that death grip on finding joy that creates so much suffering because it's this comparative thing. I'm not there. Right. And then I'm looking at everybody's social feeds looks like they're there all the time. They have the perfect life. Right. And, and I can't feel it. And I'm not there. Right. So instead yeah. of, instead of trying to be there, just start getting there, just start doing the work, just start yeah. taking some actions that, that create health and happiness for you along the way. Happiness really at its base is better living through chemistry, not chemistry in a shot glass or a pill or a needle, but ke- neurochemistry. And if you do those, those core four habits, if you do those things that reliably dump happiness inducing chemicals, you know, uh, you know, and oxytocin, you know, uh, endorphins, all those things into your brain, um, then dopamine, then you, you'll start getting to happy in a natural way. Love it. I want, I want dopamines. I want the happy juices of flowing in my brain. <laughs> All right, guys, I want to give you a couple links, www.sulanquist.com forward slash change your story. You can get rich. Um, you can get his latest book on the website. Just go to richcurtis.com. And that's with a C it's R I C H C U R T I S.com. All of this information, again, will be on my website. So if um, that gets lost in whatever translation or if you're driving, just go to sulanquist.com forward slash change your story. 
We have got literally a minute, so I'm going to have to wrap it up. Rich, it has been an absolute treat. Uh, guys, remember, what's the story? Is it true? Is it serving you? Write it down. Take a video. That one's going to be a tough one. And rehearse it, repeat it, rehearse it, repeat it, because you got to get new neural pathways, new chemical releases, get the dopamines and the yummy, juicy stuff. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and stepping in the ring for everybody. Keep shining your light. And to all the audience, uh, love you guys. We're going to see you next week. Until next time, each of you are a gift. Get out there and share yourself with the world. If you like the show, help more people find us by adding your review of the show on iTunes. The more reviews we get, the more people we can reach with this inspiring message on the Gratitude Cafe. Simply search for Gratitude Cafe in iTunes, hit subscribe, and add your honest review. It would help us immensely and we'll be forever grateful one of the best ways you can give back to the show with your review. Thanks for tuning in to the Gratitude Cafe. Don't forget, every week is a new show and you could submit your questions at suelundquist.com forward slash gratitude cafe. The show goes live at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time in Seattle on Seattle's Alternative Talk AM 1150. You can also call in to the show at 425-373-5527 or 888-298-5569. Find the live streaming link at suelundquist.com forward slash gratitude cafe. We'll see you next week.